0: Welcome aboard, everybody. Thank you for joining Talking Bass in PDX, the Bass and Warm Water Forum as we talk fishing in the Northwest. Hi, I'm Don Clark, and I'll be your host. Well, back a few weeks ago, I had an old-timer on the podcast, Bill Egan. Many people around Portland know Bill and know that he is a very, very good fisherman. Well, I had one more opportunity to spend about an hour with him and in that hour, we got about 30 minutes of content. So I wanted to share that with everybody. It's some of his stories about fishing. So this is one of those podcasts where it's not really an interview, more like sit back, relax, and listen to some great old fishing stories. Now, as a disclaimer, I will say that uh, you can't fact check any of these facts on fish sizes and where he was fishing. But there's some really entertaining stories. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Bill Egan's part two. Well,
1: in this part of the recording, I was looking for, say, three of your favorite fishing stories, things that you've done, and we want to dive into them a little deeper after you kind of tell the story and talk uh, how you prepped for it, types of of uh, lures and bait that you used and in that type of thing
2: well you told me you wanted humorous ones and i've got some humorous ones but we won't have to go back and talk on those but i've got some other good hints and tips here too
1: okay yeah
2: okay we're going to start out on things people should bear in mind when they're fishing and i've got a couple of stories here guys that i fished with the first tournament i fished the fellow wearing weighing the fish in had an eye patch and he got that because his partner got too close with a crankbait so wearing sunglasses when you're out there or wearing any glasses out there is a good idea especially in your if you're in a boat with people that aren't used to throwing crankbaits and other things uh, I fished with Jim Teeny and Buzz Ramsey out of Buzz's sled up at East Lake, and we were fly fishing, obviously not for bass, but my back cast caught Jim in the eye, so it's just, it's an important thing to bear in mind when you're fishing. People's faces are a good target for what you're throwing. Okay. I ran into a couple of kids that were interested in bass fishing, and I gave them a few bass plugs and some tips. They went down to the old Cooperage, which is in Willamette Cove. At the time, it probably had a thousand pieces of standing wood in there, and you could see big uh, schools of carp, and in with the carp were some bass. And I started coming home from work in the summertime. And my kids' waiting pool would have two or three bass sitting on it. I had to convince them that you need to fish and release if you're not going to eat them yourself. So they quit doing that eventually. Uh, I went down to 10 Mile with my son Andy and Paul. Uh, we fished, I think we were fishing rattle traps at the time around weed beds. And as luck would have it, uh, Paul, my younger of the two, hooked Andy in the side of the face. And out of Andy's mouth, there was an 11-year-old going, my face, my face, my beautiful face. There was no damage done, but it was funny at the time. Other things. Well, I went up to... uh, Willow Creek with Bob one year. He'd gone up the two previous years and won a little tournament they were having that was uh, bass and crappie. And the third year I went up with him. We drove from midnight to get up there by daylight, and they were giving a thousand dollars for first prize. They were trying to get people to show up in their communities, stay in the motel, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This ended up being the last year they did it because only eight boats showed up. We fished hard all day. Crappie were no problem catching, size was. But you were allowed, I think, two bass and three crappie apiece. And uh, I caught a a three-and-a-half-pound bass, and I took first place, and got the thousand bucks. And Bob wasn't very happy. Uh, the other thing I'll say about that is on the way home, I got a speeding ticket going up Greeley Hill. Some state cops never, never sit there, but they got me. You ever catch flounder in the river? Regular old flounder up to 10, 11 inches. They're there. They come up in fresh water and there's a certain amount of salt water mixed in with the Willamette below the falls and below Bonneville. If you're fishing something that's got a sandy bottom uh, and you're using worms, you're apt to catch flounder every once in a while. Shad. I know shad aren't bass, but I had friends that uh, used shad for bait. They said that the crabs eat shad, but the shad don't eat crabs, and they were the best bait they would get. Their target was Winchester Bay because it had no fresh water flowing into it. And when everything's saltine, the crabs come into the bay and uh, they catch a lot of them. I would go shad fishing, take their cooler because, boy, shad stink, and fill it completely full. They had a 100-quart cooler. And that's what they would take for a week week crab fishing at Winchester Bay. And in return, I got a dozen fresh-caught, clean crab, and I'll do that any day. That sounds like a
1: pretty good trade.
2: Yeah. Unless you want fertilizer, it is. Although shad are excellent excellent sturgeon bait, you get a two-pound sinker and put a three-pound shad back there, and you'll catch oversized sturgeon all day. I fished the Hog Hunter open uh, the first year I had my boat. I think it was also the last year that they didn't open, which anybody could sign up, Hog Hunter or not, and you'd have a non-boater and a boater. Well, the first day, I can't remember his name, but he did wood carvings, and he was a a member of the Bass and Panfish Club before he was a Hog Hunter and we paired up and fished and at the end of the day we were in first place the second day they took the boater that was in first place and paired him with the boater that, or non-boater that was in last place and same thing with my non-boating partner he got paired up with the guy that was in First, well, no, he got paired up with somebody else. I don't know, but at the end of the day, I neglected to charge my batteries that night, and I was out of uh, power for my electric motor. And there's a little island across from Scapoose Bay that goes up a up into a, a lake back there. But right at the front of it, there's a row of pilings, and around those pilings, we often caught largemouth. And on the first day of fishing, we didn't do anything on the pilings, but along that bank, we'd caught a few largemouth on spinner baits. So I swung in there with my non-boater and pulled up on those pilings, and at the same time, another boat went whipping around me and knocked me out of the boat. I had my life jacket on, but the only thing sticking up was the tip of my rod, because I didn't let go of it. And I said, Lord, is this all there is? And all of a sudden, something pushed me back up to the surface. I, I don't think that life jacket had that much power, so you can take that for whatever you want to. Um, the boat that had its wake it pushed me into the pilings and flipped me over the side came back and apologized, and one of the guys had a change of clothes that fit me, and I put those on, so here I am, stripped naked on the bow of the boat, changing clothes right at the start of a tournament. This is in September. Uh, We went around and fished behind that, and I would motor upstream and the wind and the current would pull us back down and we just kept pounding that bank and pounding that bank and we ended up with big fish of the tournament and we won it. I think I got $645 for that one. And in the fall, just so everybody bears in mind, as the water changes, the smallmouths are going to go deeper. They're still feeding, but they'll drop off the banks and they'll go deeper. And the largemouths tend to come up, though, till the end of October and fish will uh, feed along the bank for crawfish. So bearing that in mind, you might do some good this fall. I uh, fished the wing dam at the mouth of the Willamette one year. In, I think it was the end of October, and I was throwing slider worms, and I caught uh, seven largemouth and ten casts. Um, I haven't fished it in a long time, but I'm sure you catch fish there in the fall. A couple times there, I took my cocker, Roscoe, fishing. I took him over to the snake with Eric and I, and we fished. Roscoe slept with me on the the kitchen table and Eric ch- took the bed and when we went out fishing Roscoe took the boat so he let me know he had to go to the bank and I pulled over to the, to the bank and let Roscoe out and he took about two steps and went on point with a little stubby butt of a tail he went on point and I've never seen a cocker do that and then we he busted a Uh, not quail, he busted a bunch of chucker that ran away from him. Luckily, he looked at that hill that ran up, and he didn't want to chase them. We went uh, down to Ten Mile and took Roscoe, too. We were down there for four days fishing. The first three days, we took him out in the boat with us, put his life jacket on it, and each day he walked down that dock He'd look at the ducks that were swimming right next to it. And to him, it looked like he could walk on water, too. But he was a good dog until the fourth day. We came walking down that dock, and he took a leap right out there with the ducks, except he didn't float. Uh, We finally got him back in the boat. A friend of mine retired... Uh, from the foundry I worked in, and after his funeral, I got together with Big Mike and a fellow named Glenn, and we took a trip to the snake. I told him, we better do it now, because we never know the same thing might happen to us. Um, Mike passed last year, so I'm not going to go to the snake this year, but it's just something to think about. If you haven't done it, do it while you can. I told these two clowns to be at the house at midnight, or I'd leave without them. Well, midnight came and went, so I drove down the end of the cul-de-sac, turned around, and hid the boat where they couldn't see it. And they eventually showed up around one, and they were hollering and screaming and kicking their feet up in the air about, I left them. So I went down, picked them up, and they threw their gear in the back of the rig, Oh, I'm I'm sorry. I didn't take the boat on that trip, so all they were looking for was my pickup, Uh, and we took off about 1.15 from my house, and I drove all the way to Brownlee. Just as we were coming down the hill into Brownlee, there was a big farmer's field, and the deer were in the rut, and boy, were they busy. We waited until the sun came up before we moved over to the water anyway, so we walked down the docks there at at, uh, Brownlee, uh, anyway, there at the the campground, and they were just covered with ice, so it made it a little tough to walk, and the one T-dock that sits there actually sits right on the edge of a drop-off. I mean, it must drop 20 feet in front of that thing. And we walked down there and we looked and the whole surface was covered with, with two three-inch fish breaking the surface. So we started fishing. We were catching singles, we were catching doubles. I got a 14-and-a-half. Crappie is my biggest and most of the crappie were over 11 inches. So we ended up with 234 crappie, left in the afternoon and drove home because it had been a long day and we didn't plan on staying in a motel. We also had hit snow coming over Cabbage Hill in that stretch, so we were a little concerned with what might be up there on the way back. Oh, I had a ex-wife who's passed that worked for Nixon Marine. And I bought my boat from them. They gave me a pretty good deal. One time my boat was in their shop being repaired and there was a tournament I was supposed to fish and I couldn't get the boat back. So they lent me a brand new Ranger boat. Well, my Skeeter held like 32 or 36 gallons of gas in one big tank. This Ranger Hill had two 15, 20 gallon tanks. But I was, I'd never run a Ranger before, and I didn't realize that you had to switch it over from one tank to the other when you run out. So we took off out of the Dalles for this tournament, and we ran down to Cascade Locks, which I had some water there that produced some fish. We stayed a little too long. Anything afternoon, that wind comes up and it gets really salty there when you come up to uh, Hood River. And there were windsurfers everywhere. And I'm going along and all of a sudden, I'm out of gas. I got windsurfers all around me. I'm no longer running. I'm being pushed by the wind. The breakers are crashing into my boat about four feet back and the rangers instead of having a tilted windshield had one that stood straight up we had so much water coming over the top i was just glad that the ranger had an automatic bilge pump system and dual bilge pumps so we would have sunk it we were just level full two three times with water Uh, But it all pumped out. And I didn't know what I was going to do. I had a brand new ranger that didn't belong to me. And I looked down and I see this lever. (laughs) We got the boat running and got the hell out of there. We did bring in a limit of fish, but not good enough to win the thing. So at least it was an interesting occurrence. Nixon's Marine. You talk about jokers. They had a uh, lot boy that washed, washed boats and did rent errands for them. They told him that they were going to go clamming and they needed some shells for their clam gun. I sent him across the street to G.I. Joe's and G.I. Joe says, what the hell are you talking about? And they called the... called Nixons and my... Wife at the time told him it's a joke. Send him to Fisherman's or no? What was it? Yeah. Oh, before it was Fisherman's, it was something else. But Tim Tim Rooney worked down there. We we told him to to send him to Tim Rooney down there. So they sent him down. They had fun with him all day, sending him between this shop and that shop. I think they even sent him to Fred Myers. Uh, He finally figured it out. You don't put shells in the clam gun. Arlene. Arlene was my ex-wife that worked at at, uh, Fisherman's, and she was also in a woman's club that we helped her start. There were 23 women with 11 boats. They lasted about three years, and they fished a number of things, including a national tournament down in California if they'd one of them had won that they would have gone to uh, a lake in Texas which the owner of that particular group of women uh, ran as his headquarters unfortunately they came in second of the 23 women they had 11 boats and uh, I drew them a map on 10 mile for my wife and her Team to go fish this cove in North Lake. Real simple instructions. You just come out of the the campground there at this the up lower end of North Lake. You run into the first arm. And you fish the first cove around all the boat docks. They came back at the end of the day, and they're on a two-day tournament. And they said we couldn't find it okay and they started to give me a bunch of stuff Big Mike and John and I jumped in the boat ran to the cove came back an hour later with 11 keepers and then I really caught hell because they couldn't catch their fish now because I caught them all don't figure lakes lakes that have sparse reeds are growing on clay or other hard surfaces and largemouth like, like to spawn on them. Colby is one of those lakes. One of the gals in the club asked me where she should start and I pointed to a little group of reeds that's just down from the play picnic area and she caught two bass off of it and I caught hell from my wife because well she didn't ask me where to fish okay Rooney and Arlene they paired up as a team at Arlington we went out of Arlington for a a hog hunter tournament and They fished all day just up around the corner from Arlington. Rooney anchored his boat, and he fished. And Arlene caught every one of their keepers. And to add insult to injury, after a while she got bored and dove off the back of the boat swimming. And Tim Rooney is one of the best and most serious fishermen that I've ever had the privilege of fishing with and he was not happy speaking of Tim I went to Dorena one day and I was paired with him and he said well just lay your rods across the back there they'll ride alright so he kicked it in gear and the boat stood up on end and I lost a rod out the back it happens I fished Selkoose in a bass tournament with my boat, and back then we used uh, spray oil fish formula, either in crawfish or panfish or whatever, scent, and the oil left a trail on the water and, and actually would guide the fish to your bait, uh, but after a while, you got so much oil on your hands, you couldn't hardly hang on to your rod. So I lost another rod. And on the Columbia Fishing with Bud one day, I bounced across uh, the upper end of Hayden Island and lost a rod over the side on that, too. So I've donated my rods to the fish gods. There's another one I'll tell you about in a little bit. You need to know your equipment and what it can do. Uh, The fish oil, the sunglasses, the gas, and you don't need shells for a clam gun. My last wife, Dottie, went walleye fishing with me. On the Oregon side, underneath the 205 bridge, there's a hole there. I mean, you're going along and it drops into a 20-foot hole and then comes back up the other side. And I'd caught a number of of, uh, walleye there, but small ones. I went across that spot and then started to do a uh, figure S as I came out of there. And Dottie ended up with over a hundred yards of line out, her reel was almost empty. And she started hollering she had a fish on. With all that line, the wind, the current, there's no way you could tell. And I told her so. And I took her rod right away from her, and I reeled up her slack, and then I had to give it back because she had a fish on it. It ended up to be an eight-and-a-half-pound walleye, and the largest that I've gotten in my boat. we have got a lot of sixes and sevens. but. And then I had to argue with her to let it go because not only was it the largest in my boat and that she'd caught it, but she wasn't about to throw it back. Carry a change of clothes. If you're out in a boat and you get soaked, there's no fun like being out there even on a hot day being soaking wet. Uh, Put them in a little waterproof bag or something where they won't get wet. I fish the tips of islands, both upstream and downstream, in the Willamette and the Columbia. And usually on the lower end of islands, current breaks, and one side or the other washes across, and it makes a feeding spot for fish. Sometimes the spot is not right on the end of the island. It'll be 50, 100 yards downstream. So you want to fish it thoroughly and, and just keep working back, and then wherever you got your fish, move back up on it. Um I went to Government Island one day, and the lower end of that has uh, good current from the Columbia washing across towards the Oregon side, and on the Oregon side of that, it kind of drops off, so there were always a lot of smallmouth there. Uh, One of the best spots was right up about 20 feet from dry land that you could see.
1: Wow, what an interesting group of stories you've got there, and I'm sure it's taken years to to build those up
2: well, the ones I can remember anyway
1: well I had a few I had a few questions for you too kind of kind of rapid fire, but you can give me your answers that you'd like Shoot. um what is your absolute favorite body of water if if you said, "Hey I can go anywhere I want where would you go to and what type of fishing would you do?
2: Well, Ten Mile to me is is and has been the best bass lake in the state, but it gets a lot of pressure. Uh, if it's in the state, I would say Ten Mile for largemouth.
1: If you could only take one bait, and everything else was gone, what would you take?
2: Plastic or hard bait.
1: You get one. Which one would you take?
2: Oh, boy. Just to ensure that I caught fish, I'd have to say a dark brown Yamamoto grub at about a five-inch.
1: Now, in in the bulletin this month for Oregon Bass and Panfish Club members, you've written just an outstanding article of where to, how to, and when to go catch warm water fish. And I, I've read through the article a couple of times. What's your favorite species? Because you do seem to focus in on certain species in that article. So if you were going fishing and you said, I want to go after this particular thing, what would be your favorite?
2: I like to fish for crappie. If you've got a spot, and crappie is something I eat, bass are something I release Uh, And in some places, there are some awful nice crappie. But bluegill are good, too. I mean, if you want some action or you've got kids that you want to keep occupied, probably bluegill and then crappie.
1: Uh. And then I have now in my podcast, and I don't know if you've... uh, if you've been uh, listening to all of them or not, but I did a podcast here a while back on the perception of warm water fishing. And my perception is that bass, well, in most cases all warm water fish, but bass particularly are just such a game fish. They're too valuable to, uh, to keep. They should be released and caught over and over again. Personal opinion. But I noticed that in some cases uh, you talk about harvesting fish and you talk about catch and release. And and I admit I do harvest certain fish also. But when did you start to change your mind over the years and say, I'm going to keep crappie, for example, but I'm going to release bass? When When did that kind of turn for you?
2: Actually, I think just before I started tournament fishing. Uh, so it'd be about 1980. You know, I caught smallmouths in the Willamette. Uh, let's see. In the late 80s, when no one knew they were there. And then I took Bud out with me, and he said, hey, I got a smallmouth. I said, yeah, I've been catching them the last couple of years. And they just slowly took over the Willamette because we no longer had the log grass and the structure to hold the largemouth. Largemouth spawn later. Sometimes in the harbor, they're still spawning in early August, uh, where smallies will spawn early, and they're more aggressive. You put a 12-inch smallmouth with a 14-inch largemouth, and he'll kill it. <laughs>
1: You know that's an interesting uh, observation. I had been talking, and for those of you who those of you who are not part of Oregon Bass and Panfish Club, um, Bill's report. Bill is referring to Bud Hartman. Bud Hartman is one of the uh, uh, really early members of Oregon Bass and Panfish Club, and I asked him because he's been fishing here for many, many years. I had asked him you know, what happened to the crappie in the Willamette? And he he didn't really have uh, the answer. However, your answer of when the log rafts went away in the 80s, the fish went away. And that, well, the, that,
2: let me, crappie don't, don't require what bass do, okay? Hmm? And crappie will go back uh, when we get the spring runoff and the river starts coming up and pushing, they'll go back into sheltered places, and they'll do their spawning, like in Swan Island and uh, Terminal 4 and 3 and uh, Schnitzer. They're out of the current. They've got sheltered water that heats quicker than the running water. And later on, like this time of the year, if you want to catch crappie, you go out there and you start going from piling to piling. And when you're fishing pilings for crappie, come up, be as quiet as you can, you know, reach out, hang on to it, clip yourself to it, but go to the downstream side of that piling. Sometimes the downstream side is the upstream side because the tide's coming in. So those fish will be facing into the current feeding on what comes by. Uh, I had friends out the other day and they caught crappie to 14 inches down here off in the Willamette uh, this side of Portland U. But you look for the the pilings. And I fished the harbor only because I kept getting beat on it. I spent five years fishing that harbor and I thought I learned everything there was to, to have, but I found several places that you could get back under docks that there were actually openings you could get back in there. And as long as you're in,
1: uh, no, that's a that's a great uh, great idea. Depending on, uh, you know, what you've got, um, uh, what what time you've got. Now, one of the things this is completely off topic for a second, but. Um, now again, if you're part of the Oregon Bass and Panfish Club, this will make uh, you, you'll you'll understand what I'm talking about. If you're not uh, with Oregon Bass and Panfish Club, I'm talking about a challenge that we do each year called the All Species Challenge. This is where you go out and try in one day to catch uh, 10 warm water species. It, it has not been done uh, successfully yet. Nine is the most that has ever been caught. But have you have you won that particular challenge?
2: I won it one year fishing with uh, uh, Big Mike and I and a fellow named Wes that we actually ran almost 20 miles up the channel and caught most of our fish off of one spot there and then came back down. And I think we were missing one fish, too.
1: Well, I I just wanted to to find out, because I I have not won it. I have come in second place, but I have not won it. Not for lack of trying, believe me. Uh,
2: Well, you know, some of those fish get harder and harder every year to catch. Uh, You don't have any trouble catching black crappie, but white crappie can be
1: hard to catch white crappie in the channel in the in this in this by the way for those listening to the podcast is held in the multnomah channel uh, in late uh late September and so it can be uh the fishery can change overnight on you. so it can be a, it can be either a nice warm day or it can be a gloomy Rainy wet day cold. Yeah. yeah yeah well
2: channel cat Channel cat are a hard one to come
1: by too. Channel cat can be extremely difficult. Yes, we uh, we were there one year in late August, and we were check, we were catching channel catfish trolling for um, for walleye. And I thought, oh boy, when it comes to the challenge, I know right where to go. I went right there to the spot, and you couldn't have caught a uh, channel catfish if your life had depended on it. So uh, dynamite work. <laughs> dynamite would have been very good that day
2: the year that we won it we had the only bluegill and i caught it on my first cast
1: and i have seen people struggle with bluegill uh, we were lucky we uh w- the year that we came in second we did not have a white um, uh, white crappie yeah yeah well this has been another great Half an hour or so, and some great stories, and uh, just to quote um, the uh, a piece of your article, um, I am so happy that you wanted to share some of your thoughts uh, before they ooze out of your mind and you lose them forever. This has been some great information, and we'll be passing it along to not only the Oregon Bass and Panfish Club, to the regular listening audience that listens to uh, Talking Bass and PDX. And so, Bill, I can't thank you enough. Um, I know that you're going fishing tomorrow. Tell us a little bit about where you're going.
2: I'm not sure, but I, I really don't want to say. I might see people up there that I wouldn't otherwise.
1: <laughs> Sorry. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Well, Bill, again, thank you for uh, coming on the podcast. And. If you do have any questions, make sure that you email me at gonefishingpdx
0: at gmail.com. Well, I'd really like to thank Bill for spending the time with me. But I'd like to thank everybody for joining me. Again, if you have any questions, emails, or comments, please email me at gonefishingpdx at gmail.com. And this has been Don Clark, your host of Talking Bass in PDX, and I'll see you on the backcast.